0: I'd ask if you could please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our God as we read the passage for this morning. Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. He left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the house, and be, said household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out, and he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment beside her until her, his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have bought am- brought among us, came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And wherever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. And let's pray again together. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, for in this passage, we see your covenant faithfulness. We see your faithfulness to Joseph. We see it in several ways. No matter where he is or whatever he experiences, Lord, you are with him. Lord, we pray that as we consider this passage this morning and its enduring application to us, we pray that you would help us. Lord, to see and to understand and to remind ourselves, Lord, that you are with us, that we dwell in your holy presence. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I asked the children earlier if they have ever felt alone and I think if if we think if we think about it we'll realize quite quickly that all of us at some time or another have felt alone maybe like your friends had abandoned you or even your family has abandoned you turned your back on you I think all of us had felt this at some point or another in our lives And it might not have been an accurate perception of reality, but to you it felt real. To you it was real, and that was enough. I felt that way in October of 1992. As I began to be confronted and convicted by the Spirit over my sin, I began to realize that that there was not one of my friends who, who who wouldn't turn their back on me if, if the price was right. I began to feel that, that even my, my parents were against me. I, I became paranoid. I became so fearful that I was convinced that my own parents had hired a hitman to have me killed. Of course, this was, this was a delusion, but this was... the the false reality that I was living in. I felt completely and utterly alone. But one of the most difficult things, the most difficult thing for me to realize in that moment was that even even if it were true, that even if my family had hired a hitman to have me killed, that I had a far more powerful enemy that I had been living as the enemy of God. If somebody, if a person becomes your enemy, you can run from them. You can hide from them. You cannot run from God. You cannot hide from God. I was paranoid of people, but I was terrified of God. I can't help but wonder as I read this passage, this passage this morning, what it felt like for Joseph as he walked through this trial. Now the text doesn't tell us, but I wonder if if Joseph somehow began to feel like God had become his enemy. Here he was in Egypt, far from home, separated from his family, outside the promised land, a, a slave in the house of Potiphar. But Joseph had dreams. He had dreams that his own brothers and even his father and mother would bow down to him. But those dreams had caused his brothers to turn against him. They wanted to kill him. But Judah, his brothers, wanted to make a profit out of getting rid of Joseph so he concocted a plan that they would sell Joseph to passing Ishmaelite traders and that they would take him off as slaves. Joseph appears very alone it does appear from a a human perspective that God has turned against him. But as we will see, Joseph is not alone. Joseph is not the enemy of God. Friends, I've said this many, many times. Don't judge the story by the middle. Don't judge the story by the middle. As Stephen tells us in his sermon just before he is stoned to death in Acts 7-9, he refers to this passage saying, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. God was with him. Now we saw this sort of thing in chapter 38 as well, didn't we, with, with Judah, Judah, the the fourth son of Jacob, uh, looked like an enemy of God. By his wicked behavior, he he looked like the enemy of God, but not because of what others did to him. It was because of what he did, because of what he did to others. And last week, if you remember, we, we contrasted Judah with Joseph. And at every point, Judah showed himself unrighteous, and, and Joseph is presented as a, a foil to be in contrast with Judah. His Joseph's righteousness is a foil for, for Judah's unrighteousness. But again, don't judge the story by the middle. We're going to see what's going to happen to Judah later, but we're going to see what happens to Joseph, at least part of what happens to Joseph here this morning. Judah and Joseph are presented in a very different light. But this is not merely a morality tale. This is not merely a story about how to flee from temptation or sexual immorality. Yes, that is there there are principles that we can learn and apply from this passage, but it's secondary. Secondary, it serves the main point of the story. And the main point of the story is, as I've said, that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with Joseph. This is repeated several times in in chapter 39. We often say this to people, don't we? we? We say, God be with you. God be with you. In fact, without even realizing it, you say it daily. When you say the, say goodbye to someone, if you, think, if you understand the, the etymology, where that word comes from, it comes from the Old English, God be with ye. Now, of course, you're not conscious necessarily of saying, when you say goodbye to someone, you're not conscious of the fact you're saying, God be with ye. But maybe you should be conscious of that fact. Maybe this is a blessing that, that you should be pronouncing on, on people, the people in your lives, on your loved ones. There, there's, there's arguably no better blessing than, than God be with ye. But what do we mean when, when we, we say that God is with someone? Well, of course, we, we understand that, that God is omnipresent, that, that God is everywhere. Everywhere. But this passage says repeatedly and specifically that the Lord is with Joseph. The Lord is with Joseph. Wherever Joseph goes and whatever Joseph does, the Lord is with him. Now the Lord is with Joseph, but it doesn't start with Joseph. The the Lord had promised Jacob that he would be with him in Genesis 25, 8. And again in 31, 3. He promised it to Isaac in 26.3. He promised Abraham that he'd be with him in Genesis 17.4. But it was seen even further back in God's call of Abraham, and then named Abram, in Genesis 12.1-3. It was ratified in his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. When the Lord promises to be with someone then, in this sense, it means that he has promised to be in covenant with them. He has chosen them as a covenant partner. He has chosen them as an object of grace. Now again, this is not a morality tale, but a story that reveals the Lord's continued faithfulness to his promises to his chosen people. All along, the Lord is with Joseph. He's with Joseph in Potiphar's house. He's with with Joseph with Potiphar's wife, and he's with Joseph in prison. And as Joseph sinks deeper and rises higher, and sinks deeper and rises higher again, the Lord is with him all the time. And Israel, as as they read this, that they would have been reminded of their recent deliverance from their slavery in Egypt that began with this event. You realize that, don't you? That that as the Lord had promised Abraham in Genesis 15, that that his people would be sojourners in a land that was not theirs and would be afflicted there for, for 400 years. That that 400 years of affliction began here. It began with Joseph's slavery in Egypt. So as Israel received this, they were, would have remembered their deliverance. And they could look to God's covenant faithfulness to them as well, knowing that he is always faithful to his word. So Israel had fallen too, but the Lord was with them, and they would rise. So again, in this chapter, we can see that the Lord is with Joseph through everything he faced. In verses 1 to 6a, the Lord is with Joseph in Potiphar's house. In verses 6b to to 19, the Lord is with Joseph before Potiphar's wife. then in verses 20 to 23, the Lord is with Joseph in prison. So first of all, verses 1 to 6a, the Lord is with Joseph in Potiphar's house. Verse 1 picks up at the end of chapter 37, resuming the story of Joseph after broken away to describe the story of what Judah was up to. And again, Judah had come out of that looking pretty bad. But that chapter ended with a a glimmer of hope that Judah might actually be repentant and then with the birth of, of Perez who would be the chosen vessel for the continuation of the seed of promise. But for Joseph, things couldn't look much worse. He had gone from being the favored son of Jacob in the promised land to being a slave in Potiphar's house outside the promised land. It was a very far cry from what he had seen in his dreams. But even here, there is a glimpse of God's presence with Joseph. For Potiphar was an officer in the house of, and was an officer in, of Pharaoh. He was the captain of the royal guard. Even still, it's a, it's a long way from the favored son of Judah to a slave in Egypt. It's a long way to fall. But in verse 2, we see the statement that changes everything. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, notice that Lord there is in capital letters in your Bible. It refers to to Yahweh, the the covenant name of God. This name is used eight times in this passage, four times in verses 2 and 3 and 22 and 23, repeating this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. The other four times, they're saying that the Lord is, is blessing Joseph or, or giving him success. The emphasis is on the Lord's covenant faithfulness to Joseph, no matter what the circumstances. Now, the only other time that that this word Yahweh, this name of God, is, is used in this Toledot, in this this. Um, Toledot of the, 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 the generations of Jacob is in chapter uh, 49, verse 18. And in, in the story of uh, later on in the story when, when Jacob is blessing his sons and three times in chapter 38 when we talk about Judah. But his name isn't used anywhere else in the discussion of what happens to Joseph. But the Lord is here. The Lord is here nonetheless, providentially guiding the circumstances of Joseph's life to their appointed end for his good and for God's glory. From a human perspective, Joseph's position is precarious to say the least. But from a spiritual perspective, Joseph is on solid ground for the Lord is with him. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And the, the blessing of the Lord's promise or presence, although ultimately spiritual, in this case, is also physical. Yes, he was a slave, but, but he was, he's referred to as, as a house slave. Now, house slave is much better than being a field slave. The field slaves in Egypt at this time were often worked to death. But house slaves had privileges and responsibilities. And for Joseph, these privileges and responsibilities are going to go far beyond the norm. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Potiphar recognized that there's something special about Joseph. This, This isn't just natural talent. It's the Lord's hand of blessing upon Joseph. So verse four Joseph found favor in Potiphar 's sight. He made Joseph his personal servant. He put Joseph in charge of his house and his field, in charge of everything that he had. And it's remarkable that a slave should rise to the position of, of a house officer of a house, the officer of a house in an officer of Pharaoh, but it's far more rebar- remarkable. When you think about what's going to happen next when Joseph comes before Pharaoh himself, Potiphar discovered that that once he had put everything in Joseph's hands, he prospered. His house and field and, and everything that he had was blessed because of Joseph. As we'll see later, Pharaoh too, in fact, the whole region will be blessed when Pharaoh puts everything in Joseph's hands. This is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, an initial fulfillment of this promise. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. And this we see Joseph is revealed as a type of Christ. As as the way that that God's hand is upon Joseph points to the way that that God's hand is upon God the Son. And this blessing here that, that extends physically to that region, extends spiritually to all of God's people through the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Now Joseph might have had skills and abilities, but Joseph's at- achievements were not his own. They have a divine source. They have a divine motivation. Joseph's success was not for his own advancement. And neither is yours. Your success is, is not for your financial gain. It's, it's not so that, that you can, can rise up the, the corporate ladder or, or get, get any kind of promotion at work. It is ultimately, those things might happen, but it is ultimately for the Lord. It's ultimately for the Lord's glory. And yes, Joseph was working hard, but ultimately it was the Lord who was doing it. And it was the Lord who was doing it not primarily or, or only for Joseph's good, but to save many. As he'll tell his brothers in, in, 45, in uh, Genesis 45:5, God sent me before you to preserve life. Friends, only eternity will disclose what God has done in you and through you, through what you do the lives of others, and you will be amazed. You get little glimpses of that here and now, but here and then, but, but, but eternity, with that, that perfect hindsight of eternity, you will see how God was sovereignly at work behind everything that you did. For your good, for the good of, of others around you, and ultimately for His glory. Potiphar put all that he had in Joseph's hand. And all that he had was blessed. The only thing that we're told that wasn't in Joseph's hand was the food that Potiphar ate. Now, there's different ideas as to what this means. Some commentators suggest that this refers to literal food, since the Egyptians saw eating with Hebrews as an abomination. uh, Genesis 43, 32. Others, Others think it refers to Potiphar's business. His private business. But, but some suggest also that it refers to Potiphar's wife. That it's a euphemism for Potiphar's wife. Well, this would be fitting considering what is about to take place. Potiphar left everything else in Joseph's hand. And Joseph is about to leave something else in the hand of Potiphar's wife. Now, as we look at... at Joseph's circumstances here at this point in time, at this point in the story, remember that you can't judge Joseph's prosperity by his present circumstances. And you can't judge your circumstances, your your prosperity in your circumstances, pleasant or painful, by this moment in time. You can't conclude from this alone that Joseph is being blessed. We are given that insider information from the narrator Moses that the Lord was with Joseph when you look around at people you see in your life wicked people who are prospering do not conclude like Asaph in Psalm 73 that that they are prospering because of the Lord's blessing quite often the blessing that they are receiving will be a curse for them but on the flip side of that you also need to be careful not to conclude because of what happens next in Joseph's life that he is not being blessed. Similarly, you see godly people going through trials, severe trials. Don't conclude that that God is punishing them. Don't be like Job's counselors. Be very careful that in your own life that you don't judge things this way as well. By by these external circumstances, difficult times or enjoyable times, don't conclude necessarily that this is God's blessing or God's withholding a blessing in your life. You need to filter your experiences, filter your life through the grid of the gospel. This is how you know God's blessing in your life with absolute certainty. Don't judge the story by the middle. Just because someone is experiencing prosperity does not mean that God is blessing them, nor does it mean when somebody is experiencing trials that God is not blessing them. Ultimately, prosperity is not based on external circumstances, but on eternal circumstances. Well, now in verses 6b to 18, we see that the Lord is with Joseph before Potiphar's wife. We're told that not only was Joseph blessed with success because of the Lord's presence with him, but he's also blessed with good looks. He was handsome, we're told, in form and appearance. He's the only man in Scripture who's described in this way. Joseph had found favor in Potiphar's sight. He finds favor in the sight of Potiphar's wife as well, but it's a different kind of favor and not the good kind. Joseph would have been around 27 at this time. He's already been in Potiphar's house for for 10 years, since he was 17. Joseph is in his prime. He's a good looking guy. Now, some attractive people consider their good looks to be a burden because of the unwelcome attention that they receive. And what Joseph receives here from Potiphar's wife is certainly unwelcome attention. She casts his eyes upon Joseph and says, lie with me. Now, Egyptian women in that era had, had a reputation for sexual immorality. And in that culture, immorality with, with slaves was especially rampant. Now, Joseph's in deep trouble here. But watch what he does. Watch how Joseph responds. As mentioned earlier, Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife here is is a side point. It actually serves the main point of the story. It's a power, but it shows how God is present with Joseph in the midst of this temptation. But in this, we we do see some, some practical things that we can do to respond to temptation in our own lives so let's see what Joseph does so she tries to seduce him with the command lie with me and he refuses and counters with a thorough rebuttal his this speech is the only one that's recorded by Joseph in this passage verses 8 and 9 behold Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Well, first notice that Joseph appeals to loyalty. Potiphar has been kind to him and has trusted him. And Joseph does not want to respond to that trust with betrayal. Now, shamefully, there are people who use positions of trust as opportunities to serve their corrupt desires. But let us be those who use positions of trust, whether it be it at work, at church, in our families, or in our communities, to maximize God's glory. Second, Notice that Joseph appeals to the conscience of his would-be seductress. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. This is a clear reminder to Potiphar's wife of, of what she is and how she should be behaving. Potiphar and his wife are in a covenant relationship and to show contempt for the marriage bond should be unthinkable. May it be unthinkable for us, whether it be in heart or in deed. Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 28, that that someone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's not just those who do the act who are committing adultery. If you look at pornography, you are showing contempt for your marriage covenant. If you take that second look, you are showing contempt for your marriage covenant. Let us be those who are faithful to our marriage covenants. Third, Joseph pulls out the big guns. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He's calling it what it is. It's not a fling. It's not an affair. It is great wickedness. Great wickedness. And it is great wickedness against God. David recognized this when he was confronted about his sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, 3 and 4. For you know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Yes, David had sinned against Uriah, but ultimately David's sin was against God. Adultery is a great wickedness against God. All sin is great wickedness against God. Let us be those who forsake sin because we do not want to sin against the holy God. Let us be those who forsake sin because we do not want to sin against the holy God who poured out His love upon us in Jesus Christ. Joseph's response here shows us that the Lord was indeed present with him in this temptation. God was present with Joseph in his conscious thoughts. Joseph knew that he dwelt in the presence of the omniscient God. Potiphar might not have been there. The other servants of the house might not have been there. But God was there and Joseph knew it. Friends, not just our actions, but even our thoughts are laid bare before God. Let us be those who are continually conscious of the fact that we also dwell in the presence of the omniscient God. So Joseph successfully fended off that first advance. But Potiphar's wife didn't stop. Day after day, she tried to wear him down. She couldn't get him to wantonly commit adultery. So she tried incrementally to put pressure on him to give in to her. She tried to get him to compromise. If he lied beside her, she thinks she could entice him further. But here's the fourth way that Joseph fought temptation. He wouldn't listen to her. He avoided her. I know of many couples who said they wanted to be pure in the relationship before they were married and they, they drew lines of what they would or would not do. But their lines showed that they were facing in the wrong direction. Rather than looking at lines, they should have been looking at Jesus. They should not have even spent time alone together in a dangerous situation. If there is a rattlesnake in my path, I'm not going to try to get as close to that rattlesnake as possible. I'm going to do what I can to avoid it. We need to avoid temptation. Because it is more dangerous to you than a rattlesnake. As John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. By God's grace and the power of his spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. We need to remember how dangerous it is. If there is someone who is trying to tempt you, avoid them. Now there is something here that, that was probably not open to Joseph but is, is open to us. As, as, a, as a slave, you probably did not have the opportunity to, to go in and tell Potiphar about what his wife was doing. But you don't have that That obstacle. If there is somebody who is is trying to entice you to to any sin, go to somebody. Seek help. Kids, go to your parents. If somebody is trying to entice you to do something wrong, tell your parents. No matter what they they say to you or do to try to coerce you into sin, tell your parents. If there is somebody at work who is, is treating you in an inappropriate way, and and you know what that's like. You know what, you're going to know how that feels, or or at at school. Go to somebody. At church, if somebody is, is trying to entice you to do something wrong, tell somebody about it. Don't warn them. Immediately go and talk to somebody about it. Last Saturday, we were well taught by Daniel from Proverbs 5 during the men's prayer meeting. He, Proverbs 5.8 warns the, the young man, keep, a, keep, very, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Avoid her altogether at any cost. Let us be those who are truly committed to avoiding temptation. Let us be those who commit to not even be alone with a member of the opposite sex who is not our spouse. Well, now Potiphar's wife is getting desperate. One day, she finds him alone in the house. She grabs him by the garment and demands, lie with me. Joseph does the only thing that he can. He flees. He leaves his garment in her hand and he gets out of there as fast as he can. Now, we need to realize that that temptation itself is not sin. Entertaining temptation though is sin acting on temptation is sin fleeing is the brave thing to do joseph has not sinned here he did the right thing he ran it's only only sensible thing to do first corinthians 10 13 no temptation has overtaken you but that that is not common to man god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but With the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Look for the way out. And this takes us to another way that the Lord is present here with Joseph. The Lord is the way out. The Lord is the way out for Joseph. We can look to Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. If we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw with confidence, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, living in the time before the cross, Joseph did not understand that in the way that we understand that today. As, new co- as Christians in the New Covenant. But Jesus is the way out of temptation. Let us be those who flee to Jesus for help in times of temptation. So how did Joseph find victory over this powerful temptation? Because the Lord was with him. Calvin commented, Holy Joseph, therefore, must have been endowed with extraordinary power of the Spirit, seeing that he stood invincible to the last against the allurements of the impious woman. God was at work in Joseph to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. The ability to overcome the temptation, even the desire to overcome temptation, comes from God. God. We need to be careful here, though. We need to present both sides of the truth. Joseph still had to fight. It's not just let go and let God. Joseph had to, to do battle against the flesh. But the strength to fight came from God's presence with him. Let us be those who rely on God's strength to fight temptation. But as Joseph ran out the door, he kicked the proverbial hornet's nest. Potiphar's wife is angry. If she couldn't have Joseph, she would destroy Joseph. So she called for help. And when the men men of the household arrived, she she told them that Potiphar had brought a Hebrew to laugh at them. This was a racial slur, calculated to, to to build solidarity and outrage in the men of the household. It's also a subtle indictment against Potiphar, blaming him for bringing Joseph there in the first place. She showed them Joseph's garment. And again, she, she, when Potiphar got home, she, she told the same lie. Again, she subtly blamed, blamed him for bringing the Hebrew servant among them. And again, she presented the garment as Exhibit A. This same word for garment was used to refer to Esau's clothes that Jacob put on to deceive his father. For Joseph's coat of many colors and for Tamar's widow's garments, all of them were used to deceive. Now earlier, Joseph's garment was used to, as false evidence of his murder. Now it's used as false evidence of his immorality. And then Potiphar's wife presents her closing arguments. This is the way your servant has treated me. In other words, he's your servant. Do something about it. When Potiphar hears this, he's furious. He's outraged. Now Joseph was completely innocent, but there's nobody here who is there as a witness to vindicate him. There are no witnesses to this, that is, except God. But God was silent. God did not step in to vindicate his faithful servant. So so where is God in this? Maybe you've wondered the same thing. Where where is God when, when you are being falsely accused? Where is God when you are being treated unfairly? He's right there. He's witnessing the whole thing. And he is a just judge. And his is the only verdict that matters. He will make things right in his time. As John MacArthur often says, time and truth go hand in hand. So Joseph has been in the presence of God in Potiphar's house. He has been in the presence of God before Potiphar's wife. And then finally and quickly, verses 20 to 23, the Lord is with Joseph in prison. Potiphar has Joseph cast into prison where the king's prisoners are confined. Do you notice something in there? The king's prisoners. Pharaoh's prisoners. This is a teaser as to what is going to happen next. But it's amazing here that that Potiphar didn't have Joseph summarily executed because adultery was punishable by death. And Potiphar had the means and the authority to do it. Now, some suggest that, that Potiphar didn't believe his wife. I, I think the text suggests otherwise. Besides, we have an explanation that is explicit in the text. The Lord is with Joseph. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The Lord is with Joseph and gave him favor in the sight of of the jailer. Joseph had one kind of, of favor in the sight of Potiphar's wife. He had quite another in the sight of Potiphar and now of the jailer. This is a, another, this is a, a deliberate echo of what we've seen with Joseph before in Potiphar's house. And, and the point is now, is now amplified. This is a demonstration of the Lord's steadfast love, the the Hebrew word that's translated here, steadfast love, um, includes the concept of, of covenant faithfulness. Joseph's favor in the eyes of the jailer is a result of God being faithful to his covenant. And verse 22 is also a deliberate echo of, of what, happened, what has happened with, with Potiphar. The jailer puts Joseph in, in charge of, of the prisoners. And then similarly in, in verse in verse 23, the keeper now has to pay no attention to anything. Like Potiphar didn't have to pay an attention to anything. Because the Lord was with him and whatever he did succeeded because the Lord is with him. So we're seeing here in, the, in this chapter how, how wherever Joseph is, whatever happens to Joseph, from a, a human perspective, good or bad, whether it's a, a, a pleasant providence or a dark providence, God is with Joseph. In each scene, Joseph has favor from the chief character. Externally, his his circumstances, they they seem to go up and down like a roller coaster, but but the trajectory seems to be overall down, doesn't it? He's gone from being being a slave and now now he's in prison. But in all of this, God had favor on Joseph because the Lord was with him. Because the Lord was with him. God was with Joseph. Not long after the events of this passage, the nation of Israel will be enslaved in Egypt. You can read about this in Genesis 1. And the Lord had revealed this to Abraham, as we mentioned earlier, in Genesis 15. And, And so this was... This was prophecy beginning to be fulfilled. Now now then, the the Lord had not revealed to Abraham the identity of the enslaving nation, but now we begin to understand that it is Egypt. Israel, in receiving this, knew well that it was Egypt. They had just come out of that 400 years of slavery. Still later, Israel would be enslaved by the Assyrians and then by the, the Babylonians. And and because of Israel's suffering and, and being enslaved to other nations, we can understand what, what God was teaching them here. He was showing them, as, as Gordon Wenham says, he was, was assuring Israel of God's presence with them in times of prosperity and times of adversity. We can read also in the scriptures, turn with me for a moment to to Psalm 139. I mentioned this to the the kids. What David says in Psalm 139, verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit? or, Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. So so David here is understanding that that wherever he goes, he dwells in the presence of God. And and this is, if I could say, a a terrifyingly comforting truth for David. But it's not just true for Joseph. It's not just true for Israel. It's not just true for David. Please turn with me to to the New Testament, to, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, verse 20. Here at the end of, of the great commission, where where our Lord tells the apostles that, that he is that he has all authority over heaven and earth and tells them to go and make disciples of every nation. look what he says, this is the foundation for this at the end of verse twenty and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this province promise of the presence of the Lord is is given to It's given to Joseph. It's given to Israel. It's given to David. It's given to the apostles. But it's not just for patriarchs. It's not just for kings. It's not just for apostles. It's also true for us. God's presence is promised to us. Hebrews 13:5 and 6 The Lord promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. We live in times that, that are from a, a human perspective increasingly uncertain. We, we pray for the persecuted church every week. and we see the things that are happening in our culture, and, and we wonder what's going to happen next. But we can be confident of the Lord's presence with us, for the Lord is present with us every bit as much as he was present with Joseph. In fact, in the new covenant, we now see this in a, in a clearer way than, than Joseph could ever really even understand, Living as we do in the events after the crucifixion and and resurrection of Christ, we understand in a more powerful way that, that God is with us. We have been given the Holy Spirit to indwell in us. God dwells in you, brothers and sisters. God is truly with you. As we read in, in, Hebrew, in Romans 8, verses 31 and following, What then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who was indeed interceding for us. God is the just judge. No human court has any real power over you. God's is the verdict that matters. And your verdict, if you are in Christ, is not guilty. We deserve the charges that were were laid on Joseph and much more. But if you were in Christ, all of that, all of your guilt, all of your wickedness, every s- sinful deed that you did in, in thought or word or deed was put on Christ in your place. And his righteousness, his perfection, his obedience in all things is credited to you. What a good deal. He takes your guilt. You get credited with his righteousness. Friends, this is the gospel. This is our hope. This is the the only hope that we have in life. Whether it's in in blessing, in in external blessing, whether it's in in difficult times, whether it's in in trials, whether it's in temptations, the gospel is your hope. Hope. God is with you in the gospel. Preach that to yourself. Think about this day and night. Remind yourself of God's presence with you no matter what, if you were in Christ. Let's pray to him together. Lord Jesus, our Emmanuel, you are with us. You are with us in every bit as real a way as you were when you walked with your disciples. We are indwelt with your Holy Spirit. We dwell in your presence. We are confident in your intercession for us. Confident that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we will see you face to face. And we'll be physically present with you even as we are now spiritually. Lord, help us to live for that day. And until that day, help us, Lord, to remember that spiritually we are with you always. Help us to draw comfort. Help us to draw confidence. Help us to draw strength. Help us to turn from sin through this great and glorious promise. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.